Welcome to Destiny Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Eric Smith. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit destinydayton.com. I want to I want to talk to you today um, about this passage specifically that the Lord laid on my heart. And I know you look at that picture and say, "Ouch, Dr. Chuck, you've probably seen that a few times in your ER." And uh, probably more times than you wanted to. And I, I, I don't know much about medicine, but I would say you're in a bad way right there. That looks like a plate and a couple screws. And, and uh, uh, yeah, that, that's uh, uh, so thus the message title is Fracture. And I want to talk about that in context with, with Psalm 133. And it's, it's really germane in my thinking today because we live in a time in our nation where we're, there's extreme division. I don't think it takes... Anyone who has rocket science skills to know that. I feel like there's little unity to be found. We're living in a polarized culture. And what I believe in in Psalm 133, of course, we can't do anything about the world, but there's a mandate under the body of Christ that we live in unity, right? So here in Psalm 133, we find a blueprint for how the body of Christ should operate when fracturing is so much easier because it is so much easier to fracture. It's so much easier to break off. It's so much easier to be angry, to be petty, to divide, be divisive. It's so, much, it's so, so, so much easier. And it pleases the flesh. So, therefore, it just becomes even easier. But the problem is we're under a, a commanded blessing. When brothers and sisters in unity will dwell, uh, there's a blessing over that. And sadly, a lot of people can't get to that blessing because they're constantly in restart mode. I got to restart. I got to re- got a new body. Got a new got to got to restart that that commitment. Got to restart that covenant relationship. Got to restart. And, and they, they hit that rough spot. And often it's just it's let's be honest. It's a character issue sometimes, many times. And it may be just immaturity. It may be whatever. And we get to that same spot and it's like, oh, there's that feeling. Oh, it's that seven year itch. It's that whatever. It's like rather than dealing with me. It's easier to fracture. And here's why this is important to us today. Revival will never happen where division dwells. Just like you can't put weight. I don't know. Is that an arm? Leg? Skinny leg? You, you can't put weight on that. The Hebrew word for the glory of God is kabod. It's, it, it, it refers to a weight, a weightiness. There's a weightiness to the presence of God. When revival comes, there's a weightiness. There's a responsibility in that. And if there is not a firm foundation, right, that is strong, and spiritually, that foundation is unity. So that's important because you're at a church where our, our, our whole vision is about seeing transformational revival come to our city. We want to see every single person encounter God, be changed, be transformed. It doesn't need to look like Azusa Street. It doesn't need to look like Brownsville. It doesn't need to look like Rochester, New York, and back in the 1880s. But it does need to look like people's lives being changed, where sinners stop sinning, liars stop lying, right? Uh, adulterers stop committing adultery. Uh, cheaters stop cheating. Uh, we, we go down the line. When you are transformed and changed, the Bible says the old has passed away. All things have become new. So we are looking 
looking for transformational revival for a whole lot of folk like many of us in this room can say, I once was blind, but now I see. I used to be that, but now I am this because I encountered someone named Jesus Christ and he made all the difference in my life. That is what we want to see. We want to see the dead awakened. We want to see the dead inside of churches come to life. We want to see people that have been asleep spiritually awaken in the power and the glory of God. That is what revival is. Revival is not necessarily evangelism. Revival is when the church gets right. Revival is when people inside the church house get honest with each other and repent of their hidden sin and come clean before the Lord so the presence and the weighty glory of God can come down. That's what we seek. And it ain't going to happen, pardon my English, it's not going to happen where there's division, where there's fracture. So this psalm we're about to read, and I'm getting to it. It's a part of a group of 50, because to understand this, and I don't want to give you too much of this stuff, because I know it's like, um, whatever, but it's important. Psalm 133 is a part of 15 psalms from Psalm 120 to 134 called the Songs of Ascent. So what's happening here, starting in Psalm 120, the psalmist uses a geographical imagery to express feelings of loneliness and being left out. And his words kind of conjure up this feeling of being a foreigner in a foreign land. And the psalmist reveals feeling isolated, polarized from the people in the midst of whom he dwells. At the beginning... However, as the collection of these psalms progresses, the reader is invited on a journey from loneliness, from separation, from polarization, distress, to this final place of communal worship gathered together in unity, Psalm 133 and 134. I want to give you a little ancient context here, and I will as we go. But it was common for there to be pilgrimages in ancient Christianity. Pilgrimages are common in in other religions as well. But this kind of, they call it songs of ascent because it kind of pictures out maybe you're starting in Babylon, right? Where, where Israel was held captive for a while and they're leaving Babylon and now they're going up to Zion, Jerusalem, so as they are journeying with a group of believers, a, a group of fellow servants of, the, of Yahweh, they are on this journey together and they are singing. These are songs of ascent. We're going up geographically. We're going up, right? Well, there's all, all kinds of spiritual meaning in there too. But we're going up to Mount Zion and we're journeying together and we're leaving this place of fracture, of selfishness, of loneliness, of pettiness. And we are climbing together to a desired end. So these songs of ascent were viewed as songs to be sung while on the road, while you're journeying to Zion, together with your brothers and sisters. You started low, now you're moving higher. Low was fractured and polarized. Higher was in unity with the brethren, worshiping Yahweh. So here we are to Psalms 133. And it's real, real short, but it's powerful. And it says this. Are you ready? Are you there? Yeah, we've been here 10 minutes, Pastor. Why you been going on and on? (laughs) 
I'm sorry, I can't even clear my throat in 10 minutes. I've tried. It's just hard. I'm working on it. And this is edited, right? If I didn't get up Sunday morning at the crack of dawn and edit my sermon, we'd be here a lot longer. So you can thank the Lord for that. Writing is human. Editing is divine, right? The Lord said, no, take that out. Take that out. Too much. (laughs) Not necessary. Verse 1, behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down to the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Mount Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing of life evermore. Now just turn a page or push the arrow. Let's just read the next, the final three, right? This is where the songs of ascent come to end, to the end. Come bless the Lord, all ye servants of the Lord who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the holy place and bless the Lord. And may the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the power of your word. I pray, God, that you would just take us deeper today. Because, God, you know this is, and I've wrestled with this, Lord, and you spoke to me. This is not a sales pitch to, 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 to come Wednesday or, or to join membership or to join a small group. Father, th- th- this right here is just a call to where can we connect in covenant unity in the body of Christ. God, this is a call to examine our hearts and see how we can be stronger together as your word states. God, not as a not as some slogan. Because, God, I'm sick of sloganized Christianity. I'm I'm sick of a rabbit foot Christianity. God, I I want genuine and I want real. And God, as we dive into your word, we just see, you know, there, there there are these things that matter that we've just kind of let slide and overlook in modern times, but God, we all, we always say, Lord, we want to, we want new Testament Christianity. Well, here we are. So God help us to embrace your word and your truth in Jesus name. Everyone said, amen. Amen. You, you may be seated. God bless you. The truth is unity is hard work. Yet we've been called to do the hard work of unity. And I want you to see in these important truths of Psalm 133, I just want to give you three thoughts, right? And then I'm going to close. We're going to pray. We'll have prayer stations up here today. We'll give people a chance to encounter God. But I want you to see this. In order to dwell in unity, we have to actually be on a journey together. There is no unity, really, unless we're journeying together. Right? I hear people talk about their football teams, and this is appropriate being Super Bowl Sunday. It's like, we and we this and we that. So what do you mean we? You don't play for the Bengals. You're not on the team. Hey, we're a fan. Hey, you like them or whatever your team is. But we don't say we because we're not on the team. And, you know, we, we, we don't even promote them, right, because the, the Bengals have never done anything for us, right? Paul Brown has never sent me a check for my promotional uh, opinions. or right? We're just fans of a team, but we're not on the team. But when I talk about the church, I do say we, because this is my team. And we are on a journey together. And what is happening here in these Psalms is they are together on a shared journey to Zion to worship Yahweh. Now, this is cool because recently, and I don't even know this existed until a few weeks ago, I was watching this documentary on, on the ancient underground churches of Lela Bella in Ethiopia. Has anyone ever heard of this place? 
wow, I, f- I feel like a big, big American right now. I, 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 I had my little bubble. So around 11th, 12th century, these ancient churches were built. And they're truly a marvel. And they hold special meaning because the believers that built them what was that, a 1,000 years ago, 800, 900 years ago, claimed that they had angelic help to do it. I don't know if they did or not, but when you look at it, you say that is definitely an archaeological, uh, technological wonder, right? Somebody carved down a perfect square in in this mountain, and and they built a church, and, like, you can't can't fall over the edge because, you you know, you would die. You got to go down the steps. But underground basically like the the point of the church is like level with where you stand but the whole church is down in the ground is this making sense and they've did that several times and there's these several churches and they're ancient and it's in ethiopia so Leila bella has become a place where christian pilgrims will go to worship god it's like you know when you go to a special place where you know god did something and you have you know there's memories of a revival or you know i have friends and one day i'll do it i've never been to los angeles before but i'd like to go to the the spot where azusa street mission stood now the house on bonnie bray street is still there i'd love to go i'd love to see that right now on the street there's like a little a placard on on a telephone pole says this spot was where the azusa street mission stood that a great revival happened in America in 1906. And so that's all that's left. But it's cool to go to spots like that. Some of you on staff, we've been down a couple times to the Cane Ridge Revival site down in Kentucky. And we've spent the day on the grounds praying, right? And saying, God, if you don't know, Cane Ridge Revival happened in 1801, 1802. It was a massive move of God on the western frontier of the United States where tens of thousands of Americans came on horseback and carriage and buggy. And they came to encounter the Lord Jesus Christ. How many have heard of Cane Ridge, Kentucky? Okay, a few more. So what these believers are doing in Ethiopia every year, and this is what I, something else I didn't know, is they come by the thousands, many of them on foot, and they will walk for days or weeks, and they will come to Layla Bella, and they will do a journey, right? They're, they're on this journey, and they always, usually at Easter time, and in, and in Ethiopia, Christians in Ethiopia don't call it Easter, they just call it resurrection. And what's cool is this site is like, you've heard of the Denver, the mile high city. This is like the mile and a half high city. It is a mile and a half above sea level. So in other words, unless you are pretty fit, you're going to have a hard time getting up there. So I saw in this video thousands of Easter Sunday morning at the crack of sunrise. Here's thousands of Ethiopian Christians, man. It just, it just rocked me. And they're all dressed in white. And they have traveled by foot. They have sacrificed. They have come a long distance. And there they all stand around this ancient church where believers from 900 years ago worship Jesus Christ there. And they around the perimeter. And there are thousands of them. And there they sit at sunrise. And the sun comes up. And the hills were filled with their singing. Worshiping Jesus at sunrise. At Layla Bella, worshiping their king. And I thought, you know, we don't fully understand Psalm 133 because we don't understand that. 
Because that, what's happening with Ethiopian Christians and Leila Bella, that, that, that's akin to the time we're reading here in Psalms 133. They were pilgrimaging. They were on their way. They were on a journey. And so we, we think about this today in terms of we're on a journey. We may not be on foot. We may not be headed to different spots. That's cool and that's fine. But, but we can be spiritually together. We can be linked together by a vision, if you will, a journey that causes us to link arms and say, hey, we're together on this. And I realize as reading this and seeing that, that there is powerful unity that comes when we are united by a common vision, a common journey, if you will, a common goal. We may gather today for many different reasons, but it's important to understand what is driving our gatherings. Let's be specific. What is driving our gatherings here at Destiny Church? I can't speak for anyone else. Lots of great churches in Dayton in the United States. That, that, that's, that's wonderful, and I, but I can't speak for them. I can only speak for us. I can only speak for what drives these gatherings, what makes us unique, and why we are on this journey that brings people from all over the city of Dayton right here on Sunday morning and on Wednesday night. What's bringing us together? I want you to know that this journey that we're on, this church that we're in, exists because we want to see the transformational revival come to the city of Dayton and beyond. We are desperate for a move of God here. We recognize our need for revival. When people have God encounters, they are marked, they are changed by God's mighty power. We want to see God encounters happen everywhere. When we gather on Wednesday, we are creating the wineskin of revival through the hard work of prayer. Prayer breaks open the way. Heaven, prayer is heaven's prerequisite for revival because God Himself said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear them from heaven. As Brother Dylan stated so wonderfully a moment ago, God has not changed since then. This, you see, is the common shared vision in our journey of Destiny Church. We want to make sure that that is reflected in our worship. The songs we sing matter. The teaching that we teach, it matters. The preaching, it matters. Our ministry, our outreach, our, our classes, our small groups, we are all in for revival. Our boys and girls are down there today learning how to lay hand on the sick. They're learning how to get a prophetic word from the Lord. They're learning about revival. They're learning about all aspects of the Word of God. But I want to tell you why. Because we are all in for this thing of revival. We are all in to see revival come to Dayton. That's our journey. That's the shared journey. That we're, that's why we are here. That's why if you think, well, pastor's really intense, that's why I really believe it. I really believe it. If I didn't, I'd be in a fishing boat today, really. Be honest, well, maybe not today, but I'd be in a fishing boat at some point. Because I am convinced that God wants to do something incredible. I believe there's a harvest of souls yet to come. I believe there are demons to be cast out, bodies to be healed, people's lives to be transformed. I know it. I believe that's why I don't have time to play church. We, again, I'm going to quote Dylan again. Thank you, Dylan, for setting up my sermon. I appreciate you, man. 
Well, I, we don't have time for sermons that, that the pastor sits and tells us how wonderful we are for 30 minutes. Well, many of you are very wonderful. I want to tell you, I'm thankful for that. I also know we need revival. We need an encounter with God. We need frequent encounters. And when I say encounter, I just don't mean a healing. I mean, some of us need salvation encounters. Some of us need deliverance encounters. Some of us need Holy Spirit baptism encounters. We, we need all kinds of salvation. We need all of that. We need to encounter God. We need encounter to be a regular lifestyle as we live this thing called the Christian life. I've heard people say, well, I don't need to encounter God that way. I already believe. Well, that's wonderful, but that's not scriptural. We need to understand that this act of relationship, right? It's an it's like a marriage. And I, I don't compare it to marriage. Jesus did. If you only encountered your husband or wife on your wedding night, and it's been 20 years since you've encountered them again, I think you know what I'm talking about. You have problems in your marriage. We were built. That's how relationships work. There's got to be intimate encounters with the Lord Jesus Christ. Not just 20 years ago, I said yes to God at an altar. Well, thank God for that. But what have you done since? How many altars are you coming to now? How much time you spend in prayer? See, we've got to build that relationship. God is, is looking for a people that will sell out and will pray and will seek His face because we're not doing it just for us. We're doing it for everyone else around us. Amen? The Holy, I think Bill Johnson is the one that says the Holy Spirit fills us for our benefit, but He comes upon us for the benefit of others. Revival is not just for us, it's for your children. Some of you relate, you have kids that need Jesus. They go to church maybe somewhere, but they need Jesus. Some of them don't go to church and they need Jesus. Some of them do go to church and they still need Jesus. They need to get the plastic you know, flannel board Jesus off, off the screen for some of them and off the board and into their life and real and let him affect their daily living, right? That's what revival does. It's a very real God who we will stand before one day and he's coming soon. You see, this is our journey. This is our common shared division and journey here at Destiny. And we want to make sure that we are on course and we want to make sure that we are living in unity together. And I'm telling you this, why? Not just for 411's sake. It's an invitation to join the journey. To come into unity with shared vision, shared goals of seeing God's glory invading the earth below here in our city. Because this I know, wherever someone's, whatever someone's vision is, it doesn't, whatever the vision is, God will not bless disunity. God will not bless or pour out on divisiveness or division. And he has a long history, however, of blessing people in unity. So these Psalms of ascent end with the body being in unity, worshiping Yahweh, which is why I say the two most unifying things a body of believers can do is worship together and pray together. That's why we need to do it as often as we can. And I, you know, I'm, I'm thankful if you're watching via online today, but it is not the same. It's not unifying to watch another group of people worship while, you know, you're checking your phone and looking out the window and getting up and getting a pop and sitting there and scratch your head and like, what's going on over there? And they, oh, look at this ad over here. Yeah, that, that's, that's not unity. I just described how I watch YouTube. <laughs> that's how I know it's not the same. 
No matter what a body of believers you're talking about, worship and corporate prayer are the things that are critical components because they are mission-specific. They are journey-specific. That's why at churches, I tell pastors this all the time, make sure you have a corporate prayer meeting at least once a week at your church. As a presbyter, I have, I have the ability to speak to other pastors, and I'll tell them that. I'll say, you know, what, where's your prayer meetings at? Are you having regular time for people to gather and pray? Because that's, that's the work of the church. That's something God has called us to. That's something that we unify around because I have found if you're not praying for your brother, you will probably pray on your brother eventually. If you're not praying for your pastor, you probably will pray on your pastor at some point. Secondly, dwelling in unity comes through commitment to each other and to God. So a psalm of ascent, these songs of ascent, it's a journey. They begin a distance away. In Psalm 129 and 130 here in this package of 15 psalms, they describe hard times. You ever had hard times? You ever had the opportunity to get hurt or offended at a church? Pastor won't raise his hand because I'd have to raise every arm I have. Oh, yeah. There were hard times. Listen, this is what the psalmist describes in Psalm 129 and 30. I'm just going to give you the whole thing here, all right? Without reading, you can go back and read it all later to see the whole, the whole, the whole thing, right? As, it go, you can just, as you read, it's poetic, right? It's Psalms. You're going up. But Psalm 129 and 130, they have attacks from without on their journey together. They have attacks from within. They have sin issues within while they are on the journey. But what is cool, this group, they stood strong. They repented to God, to each other. They stuck with it. And something comes through in this group of Psalms. The ones who arrived at the end of this journey, they experience a blessing. And they experience this blessing because they were committed to the end. Now, there's almost, not almost, there is a spiritual parallel there, right? Matthew 24, 13, Jesus said, he endures to the end shall be saved. So we kind of get that feeling from another perspective here in Psalm 133. This group of people on this journey, they stuck together. There was hell, there was high water. There was all kinds, there was attacks from without, within. There were self-inflicted wounds. There were outward-inflicted wounds. There were people who shot themselves in the foot. There were other people who shot them in the foot. There were people that hurt, but here's the bottom line. They had the, 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 the oomph. They had the spiritual maturity. They, they, they got together and said, we believe in getting to Zion. We believe in this vision enough that we're not going to let our personal feelings and our personal preferences cause us to get fractured. But we are going to stick together because we believe in what God's about to do in our city. And we're heading to Zion and we're going to keep it moving forward. Hope that making sense to someone. This term, brothers dwelling in unity, is used in Deuteronomy, and it speaks of covenant responsibility. You've heard me say this before. Covenant is not contract. Covenant is a giving of yourself, one to the other. Marriage, thus, is a covenant. Legally, you could say, well, it's a contract. Yeah, you, have that, it, you could say that for sure. But spiritually and biblically, marriage is a covenant. You're giving yourself one to the... And this is where the blessing of unity lies. The phrase brothers dwelling in unity speaks of covenant responsibility they had to each other. And it's used in the book of Deuteronomy. Not, but listen, not to just randos, right? 
but people you are in covenant with. We have, this is what I'm saying, we have responsibility to each other. When people say, well, the church has responsibility to the poor, I was like, as long as you're talking about the poor of your church first, I'll have that conversation with you. People within the body in covenant, these are the people we must take care of first. That's the biblical mandate. Is this making sense? So they're people in covenant and and they literally become family, even though they're not related. But in the Old Testament, if if someone in covenant relationship with you, if they're if if like the, the wife's husband would die, the other men were responsible to take care of that widow so that if she had no means, no children, whatever, they would make sure she was provided for. I have no mandate to be in unity with someone I'm not in covenant with. It's why we can't be in unity with the world. We don't have a mandate to be in unity with the world. We have a mandate to live in peace with the world but and our neighbors, but not in unity. Unity is a mandate that's unique for brothers and sisters, believers. Is this making sense? Unfortunately, this often falls apart in modern church because we like to use the lingo ad nauseum, but often lack the mutual investment that covenant with each other requires. Again, let me just say, I'm not here to sell you on anything. I'm not trying to get you to join or sign up. Nothing. This is just, let's examine our heart. Let's see if we can be covenant people. See how deep we want to go in this thing. I know this is valuable to you because you're here every week, and I, and I honor you for that. So if, if we're going to carve out time for it, why don't we, why don't we see how, how, how far can we go? How deep can we go in this? Unfortunately, many like the benefits of covenant without the work that must be put in to create the covenant. Therefore, when that happened, that potentially creates fractures. They like it when people do A, B, and C for me, but have you done A, B, and C for them? See what I'm saying? It's great the church does this, this, and this, but what have I done this, this, and this for somebody in the body? It's covenant, right? So let's be certain what covenant commitment in this text is about. Several things are implied. I want to just touch on them and then I'm closing. Okay. First, I want you to see these are like sub, this would be a sub point of number two. I forgot to drop this in. This would be a sub point here of number two. Covenant commitment means that time must be invested. This would be your A under point two if you're taking notes. Or if you're not, I'm just flapping my guns for my own good. Okay. People can gather around good ideas all the time, and you see it all the time. People will gather around good ideas. They'll gather around a vision. Sounds compelling. Sounds exciting. But at the end of the day, it's covenant commitment that sees it through. I could give you a lot of examples in the church world. I'll spare you and spare me having to rehash old memories from other places. But I want to tell you, it's, it's one thing to have good ideas and to gather around ideas and to gather around perceived vision. Sometimes it's not real, it's perceived. But it's covenant commitment that will see it through. See, many of you have kids or have had kids or grandkids. And when it snows outside, I've got a little granddaughter I love dearly. Papa, let's build a 10-foot snowman. I think a 10-foot, I mean, like a little two-inch snowman sounds better to me, right? And oftentimes the way snow works out around here, unless you catch it right in the middle of a snowstorm, by the time you get out in it, it's going to be crispy and flaky and powdery. Therefore, you're not going to make a big snowman. 
But I think it's a great idea to build a 10-foot. Great idea, but little thought is given on the time investment that would be required to put into creating such a large snowman. Some will take the plunge. The results are cool. 10-foot snowman. But oftentimes he's like, you know, that was a good idea on paper, but I just don't think I got enough to finish a 10-foot snowman. Covenant commitments aren't put off by the time something takes. It's just a snowman. I don't, I don't, I don't feel the, the pressing urgency to build a 10-foot snowman, right? It's a good idea, but I'm not going to make a covenant commitment to do that. Now, if I had made a covenant commitment, here's what I might do, right? I might go get a bucket of warm water and I might spread it over some snow and start rolling. You know, there's ways around powdery snow to create. But, you know, we're talking how much we want to put into this for a little fun. It's what I admire most about someone who has a really long beard. Right? Joe, I'm talking to you right now, brother. Come on. Because I know how long you've been committed to growing that thing. I mean, it's so long right, for bluebirds to fly out of it. Now, it's awesome, bro. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> I tell you that all the time. Like, man, I love that. Because I know, Joe, there were times when you wanted to shave that off. I know there were times you got sick of it and probably drove you crazy. But somehow you stuck with it and the time was invested. On a more serious note, I admire... Couples that stay together for a long time. This year, I'm going to celebrate a long time. (laughs) 34 years. But I'm pretty sure there's some people in this building who've been married longer than I. But I want to tell you, that means you've overcome difficulties You've, you've gone through some struggle, but at the end of the day, 30, 40 years, 50 years, 60 years of marriage, you got to respect that. Why? There's time invested. There was a covenant commitment that said, uh, we're going to stick with it. And it takes two people, right? Yeah, you you got to have both partners saying, yeah, we're in on it. Something else we see in this, in this passage, there's a measure of flexibility. I'm talking about what, what, what unity looks like in, in the form of covenant commitment. So if A was, there's a time investment, B, there's, I would say the second sub point, there's got to be a major flexibility. I love here, interesting, you note this, I love the psalmist doesn't say how good and pleasant it is when everyone agrees with me. How good and pleasant when everyone does things the way I want them to. That's not what he says. You see, unity is not trying to silence differing opinions. Unity is not trying to stifle someone's individuality. But unity chooses to be in unity despite differences, despite preferences, despite differing ideas. We can still choose to be in unity. Do you see that? Because there's a flexibility there. When Jesus talks about no one putting new wine into old wineskins, it begs the question, why wouldn't we do that? Well, practically, because old wineskins are rigid. There's no flex. And new wine does what? New wine expands. It puts off a gas as it ferments. And new wine will blow up wineskins. Why? Because there's a structural disagreement between the two. You can't be in unity with somebody if there's not structural agreement in in where you're at. 
old wineskins have an inflexibility that does not allow the new wine to become what is it intended to be. So when it breaks, the journey and the relationship between the two ends and people see that breaking and they say, wow, what a waste. What could have been if only, if only, if only. And it's tragic and it hurts the body of Christ. It slows the body of Christ down. It hampers the body of Christ. And yet we see it all over. And unless you think this talk of old and new is an age thing, it is not. Some of the most petty, stubborn, unrepentant people can be of all ages, by the way. This isn't an age thing. This ultimately is a surrender thing to God thing and yielding of a pride thing and coming into unity requires a maturity and a surrender of oneself fully to God. So in order to dwell in unity, we're going to be on a journey together. We have to be, we have to be around a, a common goal, a common theme, a common vision, a common where we're headed, right? And then secondly, uh, dwelling in unity comes through commitment to God and to each other. And with that commitment, right, there's got to be some flexibility. There's got to be some time given, right? There's got to be some value because you, you only put your time where things are valuable to you. And if it's not valuable, you're not going to put your time in. And that's why when you, you vote with your feet as much as you do everything else, because what you show up for, what you're part of, shows you what you value finally and i'm closing dwelling in unity will trigger commanded blessing from the lord you know what a commanded blessing is that means god from his throne in heaven decrees it over you what god decrees cannot be undone when you get to this place, when brethren and sistern are gathering in unity, right? When the body is in unity. And, and remember, what did Jesus pray before he left the earth? What did he pray for for you and I? Unity. We wonder why that is. And you can, for all the reasons I've just stated and more, unity is powerful because unity itself is a wineskin for a move of God. I'll give you an example. Acts 2.1. And when they were all together in the upper room in one accord. <laughs> they weren't just together geographically, but that word means they were of one mind. Second Corinthians 1.10, Paul says, I would, I want you all to speak the same thing. Again, doesn't mean we all have to agree on every single point, but the reality is there are things that we are locked in unity on that we cannot compromise on. When they were all together in the upper room, in one accord, in one mind, the power of God fell upon them. I love this in verse 3 in Psalm 133. That the psalmist uses adjectives of things flowing down. Unity is not oil. Unity is the oil flowing down the beard of Aaron. Unity is not just flowing down the beard of Aaron. It's flowing down the beard of Aaron all the way to the collar of his robe. Unity is not just dew on Mount Hermon. The, the dew of Mount Hermon, Mount Hermon is like one of the only places in the Middle East where there's snow on a mountaintop. Literally in Israel, because of its size, you can drive from the desert to go snow skiing in an hour. Pretty cool, huh? You can Google, look up, not now, but Mount Hermon, and you see there's snow, there's snow on top. And they have snow trails, so you can ski. 
And what happens is in the spring, summer, when that melts, that water comes down and it provides a refreshing. When Aaron, the priest, and I love he, he, he says the priest because he, he points to the fact this is, this is a God thing. This is a God relationship thing. You know, when they anointed people with oil, they put a pound of spices in that oil. So when they would dump that oil over Aaron or any priest's head, as it ran down, the whole room would be filled with this fragrance of like, wow, that smells good. The point is unity is refreshing. And it's a blessing. And it gives life to everyone around. And it's powerful for those to be under that covenant of unity because we then position ourselves to be in this place of commanded blessing. This is why unity is special. It's sadly rare, but it is powerful, my friends. No wonder it's what Jesus prayed for us in John 17. No wonder Satan fights to disrupt it. Satan loves fracture. Satan wants to fracture. God loves unity. Satan blesses division with more demonic activity. Jesus blesses unity and God blesses covenant unity with more of his glory and more of his presence. And I want to make sure, and I'm not preaching this today because I think there's some sort of disunity, but this is something the Lord just laid on my heart because it's something you always, you just, I just preach it all, right? We just preach the word and we just apply it to our hearts because God is creating a wineskin here. God is creating a place. He's creating a Bethel, right? Where he can come down, where he can, where he can encounter us so we can encounter him and we want to be a wineskin for what God wants to do in Dayton. And I want to tell you, I believe this is a place where God wants to use, where God wants to come down. Why? Not because we're special, not because we're fancy, not because of our size, but because we have a core of people here that are committed to pray and committed to see the glory of God and are committed to see revival come to Dayton and are committed to see the blind seeing and the deaf hearing and the addicts set free and the dead rising and the lepers being cleansed. There's a core of people here that are committed to be people that God can use on this planet today. And you may think that's common, but I want to tell you, sadly, it's not common, but that's why we're here. We want to make it common. We want this to be the every, every song for every church. We want to see this be the vision for everybody in the church of Jesus Christ in the Dayton area and beyond. We want it to be a common goal that we see the glory of God fall and change lives. I have people all the time, of course, you know, this move out of here, move to other cities. And they say, Pastor, do you know anybody in this city? Do you know of a good church? That's the thing. This is my number one question people ask. Do you know of a good church in this city? Sometimes I do. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I have no idea. But I'm thinking here, wouldn't it be cool if what I just said became the case And I say, you know what, brother, it doesn't matter what church you pick. They're all going to be good because they all have this shared. They want to see heaven come to earth. They want to see the revival come. They want to see the glory of Jesus Christ. Wouldn't it be cool if we could actually say that? Come on. Let's stand. Lift our hands to the Lord. Come on. Covenant people. Covenant people. Covenant people. We want to honor God with our unity. We want to honor God with our hearts. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. This message and other resources are available at DestinyDayton.com.